The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the tumultuous week for your money, what we learned about where stocks might head next. The Investment Committee here with me to debate the road ahead. Joining me for the hour on this Friday, Degas Wright, Shannon Sakosha, Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful is back along with John Ajarian. He, of course, is the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's go check the markets, see where we're trading at this very moment. NASDAQ, you know, is coming off another rough session, was just positive. Now it's gone back negative by about four and a half points. So it's virtually flat on the session. Watching the Dow today, too, 35,846. That's a loss of 268. The 10-year note yield at 175. I thought it'd be constructive, guys, if we sort of take stock, if you will, of what happened this week and where we think we're going from here? I know it's a question on everybody's mind. Dr. J, I take a look at your newest moves in the market, and it, it suggests that you think we're going lower by virtue of the fact that you own puts now in the Russell. Talk to me. Well, uh, and that was part of it, Scott. The other part was um, the volumes were just so light on that rally. Um, you and I t talked about it just two days ago that uh, the Tuesday rally was uh, significantly lower volume. Uh, I think about 35 million option contracts. It was lower on the stock side as well. Um, and then you look at the sell-off, the last couple days of sell-off, and that's been on huge volume. Um, not blowout volume, I'm not saying that, but right back up there to 42, 43,000 option contracts, stronger volumes in the stocks too, Scott. So that tells me that there are people that just want to sell the rips, uh, and they're not as aggressive about buying that dip. Uh, obviously, uh, they did buy it on Tuesday. Uh, whoever the they are that did that um, it had that bounce. And then both volume and volatility, those are two of the main things that we follow. Velocity is the third. Very fast turnaround from a volatility last week in the 16 range to 23 on the sell-off. And then back down to 17. And now, uh, you know, we're seeing a little bit of a rise today, but not back towards that 23 level at all yet, Scott. You own the Russell 23rd, the March 213 puts. That's right? Yes, sir. That's correct. Um, there were so, big buyers of those. You, I, I think like 25,000 of those were purchased just the other day, Scott. Okay. Uh, as I said, Mr. Wonderful, it's great to have you back. It's, it's been a while. I'd like to get your take on sort of where you see things after this tumultuous week that we've endured. More volatility, as John was just saying. He put a trade on to try and take advantage of where some big bets are being placed. What are you doing? So 2021, the hallmark of that year was no volatility, even though it was horrific in terms of pandemic and other issues. But more normal markets are, are now here. And we're going to get volatility. And I would say it's because the potential of a 20 plus percent gain isn't there this year. More likely 8% earnings growth, maybe 1% in dividends. So you're looking at a 9% year. 
along the way, lots of volatility. And you've got, you know, that print, that 7% inflation print, um, you know, that nobody thinks that's sustainable, but it's still scary to see it. So that's going to put a bit of a spook on equities too, particularly tech. And you're seeing that manifest itself in these flattish to down NASDAQ days. But the, the inherent growth in those companies is still there. Nothing's really changed. And so I think it'll sort itself out. But I'm looking for muted returns with a lot more increase in the VIX. And so we should get used to this. And, and, and we're, we're in a year where there's a midterm. So we're going to have lots of politics. I, I, I love all the hearings to bash tech. And we're back doing that again. And that's going to give you some volatility in the names. Nothing ever happens. It's just good sound bites for the politicians. But it still gives you volatility. So what I say, get over it and still allocate to equities because there's really nothing else to do if you want to beat inflation. Seven percent. You know, that's that, a that's lot. You know, it, it's kind of the the frame of mind that Professor Siegel was in earlier this week when he spoke with us. When I said, you know, so you're calling for all these rate hikes. Does that mean you're selling everything? And he's like, no, no, there, there is no alternative. He said, Tina, right? There is no alternative to stocks. You don't want to own bonds. Kevin, when I when I look at the specific moves you're making, I can't help but think you can't be too concerned with the environment here. You bought Procter & Gamble. You bought more J&J, you bought Home Depot, you bought Boeing, you bought Schlumberger. Now, I, I will note, you know, these are obviously more cyclical value-ish type plays rather than going headlong into some technology names. But this suggests that you're taking advantage of what has been a rotation out of technology and into other areas of the market that still look attractive. I still own tech. I mean, I, it's just that I'm not adding to it right now. I'm being very constructive to my old good friend, cash flow. I love cash flow in <laughs> times of volatility. And everything I bought there, you just listed off, Scott, these are cash flow honey bunnies. Fantastic balance sheets, really good places to hide in the weeds. With 7% inflation, let's call that ticker 55 to 7% inflation. That means your cash is being taxed at five to 7% this year if you do nothing with it. So where do you go? You go with the cash flow. And, we, and those are the names I'm listing. Safety, safety, because fixed income is not an alternative. Siegel's right, you don't wanna put money there, you're gonna get killed. And I think this is gonna be the hallmark of this year, putting the majority of your holdings into good, strong balance sheets. And another theme we'll talk about is Europe. I'm really licking my chops at some of the names over there. You know, you're not the only one. I mean, Bank of America, we like to look at their flow show note to find out where some larger institutional and retail flows are, are going into the market. They've seen the largest inflow to Europe stocks since June of 2021, a couple billion dollars, largest inflow to emerging markets since March of 21, almost $7 billion. I mean, it just gives you an idea where, where people are sensing that there could be more value rather than in the United States. Shan, I also wonder, and look, we've, we've had the benefit of speaking with some smart strategists and investors, not only on this program this week, but on the network at large. And I've, I've listened to a lot of, of what people have to say. Listen to what Brian Belsky told us of, of BMO, who says, I get all this volatility. There, there is an adjustment period that needs to take place when you have interest rates going up and you have a change in Fed policy, but he's sticking with 5,300 on the S&P this year. He's still looking for a decent year. 
We can react to him on the other side. Let's take a listen. Markets can, will, and should go up when interest rates go up. Interest rates go up because the economy is improving. Stocks lead earnings, which lead the economy. That's exactly what's going on with respect to the traditional formula, Scott. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not going to be bumpy. As the market transitions to more of an earnings-slash-fundamentally-driven market, history shows that returns are much more volatile. That's why our theme for 2022 is prepare for the second derivative. Second derivative in terms of price performance, earnings growth, valuation spikes, and yes, inflation. So we still think that 5,300 is very doable. So Shan, look, multiples need to adjust to some degree in certain areas of the market. And in large part, they already have. And maybe they need to go down further in some areas of technology that just got way overextended. You know, the, the, the point's been made many times, and I think it's, it's been a good one. But what do you make of, of Belsky? Is the market overdoing it on this fear of rising rates? I mean, the 10 years at 174 today. And by the way, I'm going to tell you what somebody else said about the Fed after you answer this question. The reset that's anticipated, it's the uncertainty of how much and how fast. And, you know, whether, you know, we talk about contrarian views or what is consensus. Consensus is somewhere around three rate hikes this year, right? And so maybe it could be four. Um, I would argue that whether it's three or four, that really doesn't matter. But is there then, you know, three or four subsequent rate hikes just after? Or does the Fed remain patient and watch this transmit through the economy? I, I would agree with, with uh, Belsky. I think that if we look at the second half of the year, I, we're nowhere near 7% uh, on the CPI in the second half of the year. In my view, we are absolutely going to see the Fed hold and see those rates that those rate heights transmit through the economy before they get even more aggressive. Uh, and I think we're also going to see some pressure on the dollar, which, again, to, to B of A's flow show, you're going to continue to see money move outside of the United States into assets that are not U.S. large cap stocks. So this choppy, volatile period, which I was anticipating, um, as many of us were, um, is likely to extend for the next several months. But it the accelerating economic growth that we're experiencing and the fact that we are actually going to get pretty good earnings growth this year, albeit not at the same pace as last year, is going to lead stocks higher. I think what you need to do is try to make sure that you're thinking about your time horizon. Over the next several months, if you're looking for these, these high valuation tech stocks to deliver um, a significant upside from these values that they fall into, you're probably looking in the wrong place. And I would caution that some of these stocks may take several years to get back to the values where you think they're worth holding in your portfolio. But there's a lot of opportunity here. And I think what we need to understand is that that second half of the year is going to represent something different. And you need to be prepared to perhaps hold some of your names during this volatility to position for that period. So I'm looking at a stock VMW, okay? It's VMware, and it's basically right now back to where it was in, in April of, of a year ago. But yet you bought it. It's a new buy for you. I'm curious as to why you decided to buy that one. So if we look at some things that have been pressured, Scott, you think about the cloud, and this is just this ethereal you know, word for a whole bunch of things that have been pressured, names like Adobe, Salesforce. Um, VMware as, is actually a hybrid 
platform that is looking to move to a SaaS model. And so if you think about what we, to, to Kevin made a great point, cash flow. This company is looking to create a model whereby they have more recurring cash flow. And if we look at something that we're looking at over the course of the next couple of years is this hybrid approach is going to continue. Not everything is going up into the cloud. And so a mix of both hybrid computing options as well as some of this cloud-based uh, infrastructure that we like, we think is the best way to take advantage of the higher IT spend that we're anticipating coming forward, continuing through the next three or four years. So Degas, good to have you back uh, with us today as well. Again, I mentioned these voices that have been on the network this week and today, and there was another good one on, on Squawk on the Street today. It was Adam Parker, Trivariat. Um, we love talking to him as well. And thought he said something interesting today where he suggested, it's like the market went from zero to 100 miles an hour uh, seemingly overnight on what the Fed was going to do. And he poured cold water on that in a conversation with the gang earlier. I want you to listen to what he said on the idea of whether the market's just gotten way, way ahead of itself and is having a fit over something that hasn't even happened yet. Let's listen. People are really out of their minds if they think the Fed's going to raise four or five times this year and four or five times next year. I don't see how that's going to happen. I'll take the under. Look, I, I was kind of being, you know, sort of counter saying, look, maybe they could do zero, maybe they could do one. I don't think anyone knows. But if they're looking at full employment and stable pricing, Explain to me how 61.9% labor participation is full employment. And if they want stable pricing, um, you know, we'll see. But I think a lot of these things will flesh out in the next 6, 12 months. I'll take the under on the current hawkishness uh, for sure. Hi, Degas. What do you think? I mean, he, he essentially yeah. is calling the Fed's yeah. bluff. He says, I don't care what they said. I don't care what the dots show today. What they show today and what happens tomorrow are two entirely different things. Is the market too far ahead of itself? You know, Scott, I would agree that the market did take a, a leap above where the market should be right now, because ultimately this is a tough environment and we're seeing all sectors going down. But as uh, Professor Siegel talked about, is that where are you going to put your investment dollars? And so you have to be in equities. And so what we will look at is that you have to focus on pricing power. Whatever happens to inflation, if you have companies that have pricing power, you will come out ahead. Also, if you look at your companies and you start rank ordering them around valuation, you know, one thing that was mentioned earlier is, is cash flow. If you look at free cash flow yield, rate your companies from the highest to the lowest. Look at profitability, return on invested capital is another one. Highest to lowest, expectation, where's the growth in earnings? And look at sustainability. Is the company checking off doing those things? If you start ranking order those companies that way, you get a better picture of your portfolio. Kevin O'Leary, so obviously the point of concern has been most acute in the NASDAQ. You know, NASDAQ's 8% off of its high. 65% of the NASDAQ 100 is 10% or more below the 52-week high. And now you're starting to get into not like the Pelotons and the Teladocs. We know about the way that those things have gotten run over by an 18-wheeler. I'm talking about now Microsoft. Microsoft is 12% off of its 52-week high. I mean, that's in correction territory for Microsoft. Amazon is 14.5% from its high. Meta is 15%. Do we need to worry about these stocks that we virtually have not had to worry about at all? 
No, we don't have to worry about them. You, you, you know, this reflects a compression of price earnings ratio as a result of instability and knowledge of what the Fed would do. You know, on the more hawkish side, is it true, three or four hikes? I, I doubt that. But the point is, that brings risk. It compresses PE. But I think a better way to look at these stocks and why I'm still constructive and why I continue to buy those names when I'm adding technology is their growth metrics haven't changed. The use case for them hasn't changed. Every time I put a new seat up in a business, I'm still buying the Microsoft Suite. I still use Adobe. I still use Zoom. I use all of it. I keep buying more of it because nothing's changed. But that doesn't mean that they deserve... But that doesn't mean that they deserve ever-expanding valuations multiples, Kev. I mean, okay, I get it. You use it. We all use it. But that doesn't mean the multiples deserve to keep expanding no matter what the other environment is, like where interest rates may be resetting to or what the growth environment is going to, to look like. Maybe oh, okay. these let's, stocks, too, let's go to, let's, have Scott, to, let's go to have 30, a little bit of a reckoning. Let's go to 30,000 feet and say what happened in this quarter we're in right now. Because of the concerns that we just listed down the shopping list of things to worry about, you like to have things to worry about, now you got them. We took down GDP growth from 5.9, something like that, down to three and change. I bet you when we print this quarter, we're going to be back up north of five. Where are you going to get explosion in PE? It's going to be in these names. People are going to say, wait a second, the economy's not dead. What am I going to go to that's going to grow along with the economy? I'm going to go back to Microsoft. I'm going to go back to Adobe. I'm going to go back to Amazon. Every time we have said it's over for tech, this concludes going back 17 years on Amazon, by the way. Every time it corrects, people say, oh, it's over. You have been wrong because the underlying economy remains incredibly strong. And I think we're going to burn this virus out sometime July, August. I hope so. I mean, everybody's been saying that for two years. But how many variants can you get? I mean, at some point, the thing goes away. Each new variant's a little less painful in terms of what it does to the economy. So I'm more constructive. And, and I think that if you say, oh, if I want growth, I'm not going to get it in tech, you're just flat out wrong. Speaking of tech, you know, as we sort of look at the NASDAQ, we, we see where it's trading today and, you know, wondering, OK, is, is a bounce legit? Does it get sold right into Right. The old selling the rips rather than buying the dips. And we've witnessed that a bit in, in the Nasdaq. It's bounced back and then it's come under pressure yet again. Here we are today. It's it's back in the red at 14,790. 200 day moving average, 14,726. So you're 68, 70 points away or whatever it is on the on the Nasdaq. Josh Brown was with us yesterday. I know he's watching the Nasdaq closely. I know our viewers are as well. Here we are on a Friday afternoon, soon to be afternoon. Let's take a listen to what Josh is watching. We can react on the other side because I think it's relevant to this kind of conversation we're having now. The next time the Nasdaq gets back below the 200 day and if it stays there uh, through a, a, a Friday afternoon, I think you're going to see uh, I think you're going to see the type of selling activity where Pete will concede the word puking becomes the actual correct uh, technical term. So what we're talking about in that type of scenario is the sort of indiscriminate selling in the top 100 NASDAQ names that really hasn't happened yet. Doc, you know, I, I want your thoughts on that and, and the idea of, of whether you mm -hmm. think the NASDAQ is still vulnerable or we can get some sort of substantive and sustainable bounce once we've gotten through some of the carnage that we've already felt. 
Well, I, I would say, Scott, that we're likely to test that 200-day moving average, and I would not be the guy selling them out um, and running around with what little hair I have left on fire. Uh, I would think that we're going to see a nice bounce at that level, Scott. That's why I'm not loaded up on QQQ puts. If Josh has that outlook, he should be in those. Um, I'm in the IWMs because I think those small caps are more vulnerable and they've been dropping faster. Uh, so that's that's where I am. I, I'm not, you know, obviously none of us uh, have that crystal ball that's perfect. But as far as, uh, you know, the top stocks in that NASDAQ 100, when we get there, I, I don't know that we see those fund managers pulling the trigger on Apple and Amazon and Microsoft which you just named, Microsoft has already had a 12% correction. Do they really want to slam it out um, if it's at that point, let's say, down 15% or so, Scott, that individual stock that is? Do I want to slam that one out or is that one I want to buy? I think that will be a buying opportunity that 200-day for the NASDAQ. So I'll uh, respectfully take the other side of Josh's trade. You know, even, Shan, you come into a day like today and you're like, all right, you know, at least we can hang our hat on the financials. At least I can go to energy. Energy's already up unbelievably this year. Financials have been on a great run. And then they report earnings today. And one of your names, J.P. Morgan, uh, is laying in it today. I mean, uh, they guided lower. They got headwinds they're dealing with, wages and, and otherwise. Even as you know, positive as Jamie Dimon was earlier in the week, or if it was last week, on the overall outlook for the U.S. economy, being strong. They're dealing with issues like a lot of other businesses and certain parts of, of their business are. There's J.P. Morgan down almost 6%. What do we do with a name like this when you get some selling on the news like you are in almost every single bank stock today? X Wells Fargo, the last I checked, and maybe that's changed too. Well, these stocks were supposed to be the port in the storm um, as we're you know, staring down higher interest rates. Um, and I think you make a great point, Scott, that they're dealing and grappling with the same pressures that we're seeing elsewhere. We're seeing, you know, 11 million job openings. We're seeing the fact that M&A activity was a huge boost to earnings for J.P. Morgan this quarter. Um, I would reckon that that's not going to be the same level of revenue coming into 2022, given the environment um, that we're facing and the lack of support for, for growth stocks. Uh, trading revenue certainly down. And I think, again, this is about expense <clears throat> management. And this is something that we've been talking about for six months, not just in the financials, but across the board. Expense management is going to be increasingly important. Where are your expenses? How variable are they? How much can you control them? And I think that this overarching you know, uh, excuse, if you will, about quote unquote inflation is going to start to fall on deaf ears because there are companies that are, are navigating this period better. And back to Kevin's points about tech, um, that's an area where I think we are going to see great expense management. So I would caution, we, we're very light in money center banks. JP Morgan is our name there. Um, and I'm disappointed in the report today, obviously. But I think that this is indicative of some of the expense report or some of the reports we might be seeing over the next few weeks around expense management and how company management management is handling that. Kevin O'Leary, uh, I, I, maybe you're feeling like Mr. Miserable today instead of Mr. Wonderful when you look at your own J.P. Morgan <laughs> holding, too. Well, Jamie Dimon is well touted as the best manager in banking stateside, and it's probably still true. But what we learned today is a little bit the king has no clothes because 
when you refer, there's new accounting in banks and how they report and the reserves that were packed on during the pandemic are being reversed here. And they are a significant portion of these earnings. The truth is, if you strip out all the noise, there's no growth in earnings. And maybe the reason you should think that through a bit is during a period of, you know, basically zero interest rates, the banks are under tremendous pressure to get return on assets and, and continue to deliver margin. But if you really thought that rates were going to go up with four Fed hikes, you would be very constructive on J.P. Morgan and all the banks. And so I think you know, they're almost like the canary in the coal mine. The, the fact that they're like, you know, the number one bank is down six percent today, Money Center Bank, tells you that most people do not believe the Fed is going to move aggressively. And, and, and that's why I think it's a great tell. And so, and, you know, for the losses in banking, I think probably you're going to get some P.E. expansion back in tech, you know, to go back to what we just revisited. But I, I just think this is a, a, a kind of a seminal moment in that whole let's be constructive on banking. Let's go and use it as a safe place to hide. If you were hiding in it yesterday, you just lost six percent. That's brutal for a huge name like that. And I don't think the slaughter fest is over. I think people are going to think this through when they really look at these earnings with the noise gone, the accounting gone, and realize that, that you know, J.P. Morgan made the same money this quarter than it did you know, three years ago. Or, or this, it looks like it's going to make the same this year that it did three years ago. There's no growth. Yeah. No growth. I mean, I, I, can only, I can only imagine what Degas is thinking after he sees the, not only the earnings, but the reaction in the stocks today, and he looks and he says, oh, my God, I got Morgan Stanley, and they're going to report next week. Oh, man, what am I going to be in for when Morgan Stanley now reports? Are any of these uh, a tell on that? You know, well, Scott, see, the at- difference here is that. <laughs> no, I was going to say the difference with Morgan Stanley for next week, it has a much different business model than the banks that are reporting right now. It has a much more diversified revenue stream. It's not only focused on the capital markets, but also on corporate lending and also the uh, acquisition of Eaton Vance and E-Trade. So I'm very confident that Morgan Stanley will have a much better outcome next week because of its business model. And then also, I also own regional banks, and they're going to do much better than the big center banks. So I'm looking forward to this uh, announcement period for my regional banks and Morgan Stanley. Well, I'm looking forward to our stock summit picks from you today because there might be a regional bank in that mix. I may have cheated and looked a little ahead to see what was coming down the pike. So you stay with me on that. By the way, uh, Wells Fargo's CFO is going to be on the closing bell this afternoon. It's a first on CNBC interview. So you get a real uh, real world view uh, later this afternoon about exactly what the environment is, is looking like. We'll, we'll take a quick break. John's got unusual activity coming up. Mentioned Degas has his picks. Kevin O'Leary with his summit picks as well. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. 
Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. The White House says that Russia is trying to set up a pretext for a larger invasion of Ukraine. Multiple reports say that Russia has sent operatives to eastern Ukraine to prepare sabotage operations against forces supported by Russia. Russia is also reportedly setting up a social media misinformation campaign to frame the Ukrainian government as the aggressor. The Kremlin is dismissing the reports as baseless. Meanwhile, the U.S. is offering to help Ukraine recover from those cyber attacks on some government websites and to also support the investigation into the source of the attacks. President Biden was briefed on the cyber attacks earlier today. The White House also threatening to take back some $170 million in stimulus funding from the state of Arizona. That's after the state said that the money will not go to school districts with mask requirements. The Biden administration also announcing more than $27 billion in funding to help fix the nation's bridges. The money comes from the infrastructure law passed last November. You're now up to date. Scott, I will send it back to you. All right, Rahel, appreciate that. Have a good weekend, Rahel Solomon. All right, our 2022 Stock Summit continues. Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary. I want to go through your picks now. Uh, Coinbase, number one. Boy, Bitcoin has been volatile lately. Speaking of volatility in the markets, pulled back quite a bit. Why Coinbase? You're right. Bitcoin has been very volatile. And so if you want to play in the crypto and payment, digitization of payment universe, you want to find the exchanges that are indifferent to volatility, where they pick up 8 to 20 to 100 basis points every trade, regardless of price. In fact, volatility is your friend. So Coinbase announced, and the stock has had a really rough go of it, that they've just purchased the derivative exchange. Derivatives are highly lucrative, very good in volatility. So my theme on crypto is no longer just buy Bitcoin. It's I'm going to run around the world and find companies that are public that are given licenses for exchanges. For example, in the United Arab Emirates, they've granted two licenses. In Canada, which was a very progressive regulator, they've allowed for two different ETFs, one with Ethereum, one with Bitcoin, and they just granted the very first market crypto exchange license with dealer broker licenses. And a company called WonderFi bought it out last week. So I'm a big shareholder in WonderFi now. Everywhere I'm gonna go is gonna find what countries are licensing exchanges. The number one right now bet that's public in stateside is Coinbase. Because FTX, I also bought, is a private company, but it's not public. So if you want exposure to this theory of getting through all these exchanges and picking up basis points, regardless of price, you got to go picks and shovels. you got to go infrastructure. That's why I have a, a very constructive position on Coinbase. And boy, is that stock corrected. Nice entry point here. Yeah, um, you're, you're buying more. Uh, I should mention that. Uh, a new buy for you, and, and we mentioned energy at the very top of the show uh, in terms of Schlumberger, uh, Chevron, you bought it around December 27th. That's your second pick. Yeah, I remember when President Biden gave his speech about green and Larry Fink's letter came out. I owned Chevron back then. 
And I sold it because it was so unconstructive for hydrocarbons. Meanwhile, that's ended up being a policy mistake. And the price of oil is doing nothing except going up because we're no longer energy independent. I think most people think that policy was brought on too quickly and was a mistake. So how do you play that? You go and find the very best balance sheet in energy. And, you know, we can argue one balance sheet against another. But the prettiest balance sheet I've ever seen is Chevron. My bet is I'll buy a ton of stock back. It's got my special friend in there, cash flow, and you're really a proxy on the price of oil, which I personally think is going to spike to 100, and it's going to be reflected. So you know, a lot of people say, well, you put this on at the end of last year. It's true, but I think there's lots of upside still to go. The trend is your friend there. So I, I really, I like energy all of a sudden because of the mistake the government's making about policy. Well, I mean, you like momentum too, right? Let's not kid ourselves. I mean, energy's already up, I think, 12% on, on the year, so... <laughs> Right. You you go. You're 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 a Canadian guy. You understand hockey. Right. You go where the puck's going. I mean, if, if oil's going to 100, uh, you're going to skate there. Yeah, and that's what you're doing. I totally get it. Oh, yeah. I want the fundamentals to be working for me, too. You're going to make me blush, Judge. I mean, really, I just I like momentum like everybody else, but I love cash flow. Yeah, I know you do. Uh, o shares Europe. Uh, so you're, you're talking your own book here. O'Leary I, I am, on, I am, uh, on Europe. I, I agree. I agree. I agree. And I want to be I want to disclose that. But I can't find an index that takes out the European banks. I don't want to own them. Oh, oh, you are. Let me rattle off some names that people think are U.S. domestic. Roche, Nestle, LVMH, Unilever, L'Oreal, Novartis. I'm just reading down a list here. GlaxoSmithKline, Siemens, Diageo, you know, the, the yogurt company, Danone. So at the end of the day, they're all European stocks. They're inside that index and they're trading at a discount to their counterparts stateside. The reason money is flowing, B of A's note about this is these companies have spectacular balance sheets. They're in recovery mode over there. And these these are household name products stateside. Some, in some cases, half their sales are U.S. So everybody hates the European postal code. They hate it. They always have. But it's outperforming the U.S. right now. So, yeah, I'm going to put a dollop of Danone in there. I'm going to eat some more Nestle chocolate. I'm going to buy these stocks, and I'm using an index that does it for me without the banks. I hate the European banks. You think, you think Morgan Stanley or, or you know, J.P. Morgan has rough return on assets. You should see what they're doing over there. These guys are flatlining. Those banks look like they're dead. How's uh, healthcare is your sector pick? Why healthcare over everything else? Because we're all getting old and crusty. And the demographic is your friend on this one. Speak and for yourself. Speak for yourself, <laughs> O'Leary. <Yeah. laughs> I just we're want all, to point out. The rest of us are all young and vibrant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I believe yes. you. I, I totally agree with that. I'm, ju I'm just saying that elective <laughs> surgeries at the back end of this year are going to explode. You want to own the strikers. You want to own the medical supplies. Everybody that's been waiting, they don't want to go to hospital because it's just teeming with COVID. But as soon as that's over, there's a lot of joints that have to be fixed. I think this is going to be a great sector. It's my number one pick because everybody wants to just continue to try and live the best quality of life they can. And that points you to healthcare, longevity, surgery, elective surgery, all the things that haven't happened in the last two years. Very constructive on healthcare. Love it. Okay. Uh, appreciate those picks. Thank you for sharing. Degas, get ready. You're next after this break. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, 
The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Degas was up for his stock summit picks. And Degas, apropos to our conversation that we just ended with Kevin O'Leary on healthcare and why he favors it as his top sector, it's your number one pick on my list. United Health from the healthcare space coming off a fabulous year. Why that one? Exactly. United Health. Let's first talk about the catalyst. United Health received 75% of their revenue from insurance, but they're the only health insurance firm that's in 130 countries. Their international revenues are growing. Second, they make about 25% of their revenue from uh, Optum Health. Optum Health is their healthcare technology platform. And if you think about it, if you go into a doctor's office to hand you a clipboard, and they ask you to fill it out, they may not have digitized records. And so what United Health is doing, they're uh, introducing that, and they're gonna be doing something with blockchain around health records. Great valuation, a very profitable company, and growing revenues. That's why we like it. All right. All right, I, I teased earlier when we were having that conversation about financials, I peeked ahead and saw that you had a regional bank on your list, it's KeyCorp. Yeah, we really like KeyCorp. Once again, we believe that regional banks will be the investment into the banks. As interest rates go up, obviously banks will do better. And so with KeyCorp, it has about a 6% loan growth, 8% deposit growth, and it's very unique in its acquisition strategy. It's recently acquired a business-to-business -business digital platform. It has also an analytical consulting firm, Plus, it has a digital lending platform. It is going to really to meet the customer where they are. We like the valuation on this. It has growing revenues and um, earnings. So this is a company we really like, and its sustainability is doing well. Okay, Intuit, the final of your three picks. Intuit, the catalyst. There's over 700,000 new businesses started each year, and Intuit is the for the entrepreneur, for that new business owner, it is the ecosystem for success. If you think about their products, accounting, they have QuickBooks, tax, TurboTax, they have for credit and lending information, Credit Karma, and they recently purchased MailChimp, which is a small business marketing platform. Once again, another growth engine is that they have uh, sales internationally in France, in Brazil, and also India. So once again, great valuation on this company, 
strong profitability, and growing revenue of about 27% annually. And you're not running away from technology either. That's your sector pick. Uh, interesting. Obviously, you know, given the times that we're in right now and, and what we think may hold for the remainder of this year, given you know, a whole number of factors, why technology, your top sector? Because, and we're looking at profitable technology. And so what we're seeing is that this is meeting a trend, that trend being the uh, millennial, growth in millennials, their purchasing power, also uh, the uh, increase in cloud formation, and also the uh, use of artificial intelligence. All that really lines up to say that technology, innovation, and growth will be where we'll find those type of opportunities. We're seeing an EPS growth of about 40% in the overall sector. So we feel very strongly that selecting stocks that are profitable in the technology space is definitely going to be a way of rewarding investors. All right. Good stuff. Thank you for that. Up next, we've got trades on some of the biggest analyst calls. We need to have a battle, too, over a Disney one. Got a downgrade, and then it was reiterated a top pick at another firm today. Almost everybody's got a position in it in some form or fashion. We'll talk about it next. All right, I mentioned before the break we had some conflicting calls on the street today on Disney. Take a look at shares here, down uh, shy of 4%. Downgraded at Guggenheim. Price target gets cut to 165 from 205. All right, so that's still obviously above where we are now. Uh, we raised our content expense forecast to better align with the company's commentary in its 10K. Right, that's the view that Disney's in a good spot, but they need to spend a lot more on content to compete with some of the others to get subscribers for Disney+. Plus. That's that view. Then it was reiterated, the top pick at J.P. Morgan, believe in the magic, they say. Overweight target stays at 220. Kevin O'Leary, you own Disney. I mentioned almost everybody does, but you do admit that it might be in what you call the lockbox for the time being. It is. It's in the lockbox because th there's two pivots that move this name. One is coming out of pandemic so that you know the theme parks are going to increase cash flow because right now you have you know constraints on how many people can go to these. And not just domestically. In China, you've got issues over there, too. Uh, and and then, th then there's the whole issue about how much CapEx goes into the streaming. But the reason I favor holding on to the name and sort of safety in the weeds is that when you criticize, you know, the fact that Disney is focused on family and children specifically, th that's probably the wrong way to think about it. The most stable content driver is children's programming because a 50-year-old cartoon is watched 100 times by a 5-year-old. And it's going to be the same in 20 years. Everybody knows that you park your kids in front of Disney and they just keep watching it over and over again. So that's very, very stable cash flow. No other streaming service has that kind of equity in its content. And I think the big tentpole films that they have and the franchises they have will, will continue to go and grow for adult programming. So I, I don't know how you can be negative in terms of the equity of this. And then you have the bonus come July, August, when this current variant burns out. These parks, including here in Florida, are going to be jam-packed, and I think you'll get a bump at the back end of the year. So I'm, Disney, for me, mm -hmm. is, I think, we're going to make 9% this year, 9 10% towards the back end of this year. Worst Dow performer last year. Uh, Dr. J, you own Disney Calls? I do, Scott, but, um, uh, boy, it, it's been a painful ride down. I just keep rolling them down um, and selling more aggressively at the money calls. 
this is my last role. If this if this one doesn't go, Scott, I'm just like that guy at the tables in Vegas. I'm going to walk away uh, because it it looks like today certainly felt like it wanted to hit that 142 low. That's the 52 week low, I think, Scott, 142. And it certainly felt like it wants to get there. Um, I won't wait for that. If we can't hold right about where we are at 149, 150-ish, I'm out. Lastly, Kevin O'Leary, and real quick, uh, on Ford, uh, which you own, downgraded today. And we note that it has had a, a, a great run. Yeah, I, I'm not selling Ford. You know, including Tesla in the mix, no other company has a truck as popular right now as the Ford one, the, the Lightning. You want an electric pickup truck? You want a Ford. That's top of your list. So do 48,000 other people. Add to that a CEO that's finally delivering the goods on executional excellence. This company is going to be a go-to EV name. It's a long-term hold. I, I'm not selling it. And I, I bought it when I couldn't even get a gas guzzler. I tried to get a 150. I couldn't get it. And I started criticizing the company. And the CEO himself reached out to me and said, I'm going to solve your problem. I like that. I like a guy that's listening to his customers. I say stay along the name. Well, you mean you called him out on live television. You don't think he's going to reach out to you? I don't, I don't think, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Public are going to have that same sort of access as you do, Kevin O'Leary. Judge, the only reason I have a 150 is you, my friend. I thank you. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> my check's in the mail. Doc's got unusual activity next. All right, Dr. J, we have to be quick today with unusual. Tell us. All right. Dollar General, Scott, DG. Stock's $216. They're buying the 210 puts in February. So I guess they think that they're not going to be able to pass along many more price hikes, and that's going to hurt margins. Second trade, Scott, LVS. They're buying upside calls. This one, I'm so delighted. It's crushing it today. It's up over 11%. Um, the stock, uh, they were buying all the way up to the January 46 expires next Friday, Scott. Good stuff. Okay, LVS, keep our eyes on that. Final trades after this break. All right, let's do final trades. Degas, you're up first today. Yes, Infosys. ADR based in India is the global leader in IT outsourcing and consulting. Okay, thank you. Shan? Uh, Salesforce, CRM. Uh, definitely have an opportunity to start adding to this position this quarter with the sell-off in cloud. All right, Mr. W? Coinbase, tired of volatility in Bitcoin? Make money going either way. Volatility is your friend. It's part of the infrastructure of the internet, and they just bought a derivative exchange that's even more profitable. Okay, and Dr. J? Um, E-commerce, luxury goods retailer, Scott, Farfetch, FTCH, buying upside calls. I bought at the money calls today. Okay, one last check of the market. Did know uh, the Dow has taken... A little bit of a turn lower. Uh, lows of the day for the Dow as we watch that. Tumultuous week for stocks for certain. Uh, there you go. Uh, last I saw was down about 420-ish. So keep your eyes on the markets. I know the exchange will have a great long weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom. And Supermom has a lot on her supersized plate. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy, Supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines. We knocked it out during a grocery run. No appointment. 
That's Next Level Supermom. From pneumonia to shingles, HPV, and more, get no-cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. $0 copay with most insurances. State age and health restrictions may apply.